but I wanted to let you know that while you're looking, looking for your passage this morning. I've entitled this The Lord of the Sabbath, and we were dealing with that last week when Jesus had a run-in uh, with the religious leaders about what the Sabbath really is and what the Sabbath really is not. And so today we're going to run into that again in the next section, and that's chapter 12, 8 through 14. Uh, so have your Bibles ready. We'll be into that in just a minute. Uh, we need to, you know, remember some things about the laws and about things that happen in, in the world. And uh, we had kids go through college, and they were always, you know, renting some house somewhere or some room somewhere. And uh, my lawyer son made it very clear one time that you don't just fix something. It, you, you can't just go in and fix something in a place that you're renting. You just don't do that. That's against the law. And so if you were in a place renting a house or an apartment, uh, you just can't decide, you know what, it isn't big enough in here. I would like to take that uh, kitchen wall and move it, and I'd like to just open it all up to the dining room. That's what I'd really like to do. And you, you can't do that. That's against the law. Uh, you can't just say, I, I think I'd like to open that wall up, make it more open in here. You would have to get permission from the person that owns the place you're renting, owns the house or owns the apartment before you did anything like that. And they'd probably want to know, are, are you actually qualified to do something like that? And maybe they'd say, well, I don't want that moved and I'm not going to pay to have somebody do it, but I certainly don't want you doing it because uh, I think you might mess it up. And why is it they can say that? Well, they can say that because the person who you're talking to is the owner. If you will, they're the Lord of the house. They're the one that can say whether you can do something or not. And so since they're the owner, uh, then they have the right to tell you, no, you can't do that. And it's only because you don't own it and they do. Uh, years ago on, on the farm out there in McDonald, uh, I used to work on my day off for my uh, father-in-law. And I don't remember what we were doing, but at one of the farmsteads, we had a couple farmsteads, and one was north of us about, an hour, oh, maybe a mile and a half or something like that. I don't remember how we did it, but we had a big pile of dirt there, and we'd been digging something or moving something, and we had a great big pile of dirt. Now, we're out, out there. You don't just give away dirt. Dirt's important. You might need to fill holes. You might need to do stuff like that. But uh, we had this big pile there. And then there was a person who lived nearby, maybe 200 yards away on another farmstead, and they just decided on their own that, boy, they could sure use that dirt. It's just sitting there in a pile. And so they actually sent their hired man over to the farmstead with a little uh, bucket tractor and a little, little, little truck, and uh, he started moving the pile over to their farm. Guess how that went over with the lord of the farm? <laughs> not very well. My father-in-law was not happy at all. And uh, he actually drove by there and saw them moving our dirt pile. And he drove in and he said, hey, what are you doing? So I'm just moving this dirt. And he said, well, uh, that's not your dirt. That's our dirt. And who told you you could come over here and move it? Well, he was a hired man and the boss had sent him over. The farm owner sent him over to move the dirt. And so uh, my father-in-law put a big end to that right away. Uh, nobody asked permission. Nobody said they could take it. They just took it. And he sent the hired man uh, back to the farmstead where he came from, and he uh, had to leave the rest of the dirt there. They didn't end up having to haul it back, but uh, what they'd already taken, but it had to stay there. Now, why is that? It's because the master of the farm found out what was going on. It's his farm. It's his dirt, and he wanted that dirt for another project that was coming up, and we couldn't afford to give it away. Where are we going to get dirt? Okay. So he put a stop to it. Why? Well, because all that dirt belonged to him. It was his to say whether you could have it or not have it. 
And if you have ownership or rights to something, uh, you should be the one controlling what happens, whether it's an apartment that you rent or whether it's dirt that you have that you want to save for something else. Certainly we understand that concept. And it's, it's law here in America. You don't just do stuff like that. Certainly we understand that Jesus Christ, being God, has the right to decide what happens in any area of life and especially what happens on the Sabbath. And we're going to run into that again today where Jesus uh, has that issue going on. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 8, we read this. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of segue into something else for just a minute because I don't want to miss this, but we're going to come back to it because it's not the main issue in, in the sermon I want to give this morning. It says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, it's not like the people that are testing Jesus right now didn't already get this speech. Uh, they just got, uh, you know, uh, schooled in Hosea 6.6 with the fact that they were saying your guys are picking grain out of this guy's field and you're threshing it and you're eating it on the Sabbath. And so you're doing illegal things and they tried to get Jesus in trouble. And so here he is again and he says, so I could, I could have actually put that with last week's sermon or this week's sermon, but I left it here. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I want you to understand what Jesus is saying and then we'll get into the rest of this, all right? For the Son of Man. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. And that's because uh, in terms of prophecy and things that were spoken in the Old Testament about this issue, a lot of it comes from the book of Ezekiel. Like, and just for an example, like Ezekiel 11.25. And you'll find, if you were to go through the book of Ezekiel and count up the times that Ezekiel called himself the Son of Man or was called the Son of Man by God, you would find out that Ezekiel said that 93 times in that book. And what's happening is this. What we learn, and we're not going to, it's not our point this morning, but it says, for the Son of Man. Jesus uses the Son of Man and the Son of God to tell people who he is. And so here he's emphasizing his humanity. All right, he really was a man, he really had a physical body. And here he's, he's emphasizing that, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So if you think about that, Jesus is emphasizing his humanity. And he wants you to know, as a human being even, I am Lord, I am Master, I am, and we know he's Yahweh too, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I have ownership of it, it's mine, I can control it, I can tell you what's good on it and what's not good on it. And these folks just need to realize you're going after the person that made the Sabbath, you're going after the person that's the creator God, and you need uh, to back off, all right? Now he could have said, I'm the son of God. That got him in trouble too. Now he's saying, I'm the son of man. They know where that came from. It comes from other places in the Bible, but Ezekiel especially, God was predicting a son of man who would come, a different son of man. For the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then we go on. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus asking, and apparently, you know, here's the guy with the withered hand, so they're asking Jesus, maybe pointing at the guy, I don't know. They're asking Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him, because they obviously believe it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, and if Jesus does it, we're going to accuse him of doing something he should have done. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it 
and lift it out? Now, that's a rhetorical question. There should be an answer that uh, we should supply for that. And the answer is, not a single one of these Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, whoever the religious leaders are, not a single one would not stop and help that animal out of the predicament that it's in. How much more, Jesus says in verse 12, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, so Jesus is answering the question from verse 10, so then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So the Lord of the Sabbath is saying it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Then he said, Jesus went on to say, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other, meaning just like his other hand. But the Pharisees went out, and they conspired against him as to how they might. And I like the translation of my New American Standard. It, it catches a sense of that word. They might destroy him. All right, they don't like him at all. They want him dead. That's what they're after. All right, let's go back and look at this a little bit closer. I'm going to take verse 8, first of all. And we've said some things about uh, the, the words that we have there, the Son of Man. Uh, and uh, you've got that, so I'm not going to go back into it. But I want to see this in the context. And it pertains to what we learned in chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, where when we went through that, we found out that though the Pharisees thought it was wrong for them to pluck some heads of grain, thresh it in their hand, blow away the chaff and eat it. It was perfectly legal and there was nothing wrong with it because they were hungry men and they had no food. Now Jesus moves into their synagogue and I think it's still the same Sabbath, still the same day. Jesus goes into that, that synagogue. It's on the Sabbath. You see how things are shaping up here? I just had a confrontation with these guys, even if it wasn't the next day. I just had a confrontation with the religious leaders. They're after me about the Sabbath, and Jesus walks into their synagogue on the Sabbath. Well, what's he doing there? Well, that's where people went, and that's where they uh, were going to be worshiping God. And that's where they were going to be reading Torah or reading one of the scrolls of the prophets or whatever they're doing to study. So anyway, Jesus was the owner, master, and ruler over Old Testament Sabbath. And that's his point in verse, uh, the first part of verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 8 in chapter 12. For the Son of Man, that should get their attention. And the second part is the Lord of the Sabbath, that would get their attention too. And they're thinking, well, who appointed you the Lord of the Sabbath? who appointed you the one who can say this. But it pertains uh, to what came ahead of time. We learned there that hungry people could handpick a little grain and eat it on the Sabbath. We learned that David himself did as much in the Old Testament with the consecrated bread that was in the temple. Jesus told the religious hypocrites that they didn't understand God's stand on compassion over ritual. You guys don't get it. You don't understand what Hosea 6 said that in verse 6. It said that God is interested more in compassion than he is in your ritual, in your sacrifices. And Jesus is trying to make a point of that. The religious leaders as a whole did not learn this lesson even after Jesus told them. Why? Because they hate Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. And they're not going to listen to anything that he says. Not at all. He declares that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And that is what gives him the right to determine what is acceptable and what is not concerning the practice of the Sabbath and over the purpose of it, the enforcement of it, the judgments of it, and the appropriate things that are concerning Sabbath that are accepted and those things that are not appropriate and not accepted. So Jesus is making a statement to the religious leaders, who do you think you're talking to? 
I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if you were one of the religious leaders, that's going to make your blood boil. You're mad. How dare he say that? And so I think what's happened is that he's about to walk into another trap by the religious leaders. I don't think it's just a coincidence. The man with the withered hand just happened to be there that day, and he's in an area where they're going to stage all this. And then he uh, is asked the question with a guy standing right in front of him with his hand you know, all withered up, whatever it was. And is it okay for you to heal on the Sabbath, Lord? And that's the, point, that's the question they want to ask. David is not as great as Jesus Christ. The temple is not as great as Jesus Christ. The Sabbath is not as great as Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than your temple in Jerusalem. He's greater than your patriarch David, and he is greater than the Sabbath. And if David was able to take the showbread and eat it when he was hungry and took it to his men, and yet Jesus is greater than the Sabbath, then maybe we ought to be listening to Jesus. The Bible said, as Mark recorded, as we saw last time in chapter 2, verse 27 of his gospel, the Sabbath was meant to serve man. Man was not meant to serve the Sabbath. And what they're saying is that man has no rights in the face of the Sabbath, and Jesus says, yes, they do. And you have a right to do good things. You have a right to take care of uh, some men that are hungry, for instance. And so we must understand that the master, the Lord of the Sabbath, his interpretation of the Sabbath is perfect. It is without flaw. It is just and fulfills the commands to keep it because Jesus would not violate the command of his father. But these people are on the wrong path, going the wrong direction, saying the wrong things. But the religious leaders disagreed with his interpretation of the Sabbath. And I wonder what we think who was really wrong here. Guess who's wrong? It's not Jesus. It happens to be the religious leaders of Israel, the guides of Israel. They're wrong about Sabbath. And boy, they've made a big deal out of it, and people have had to bow to the Sabbath all the time, and that's not what the Sabbath is about. Let's look at verses 9 to 10. Departing from there, okay, so we're talking about the situation in the field there with the whole issue of sacri- or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, taking that wheat and threshing it is what I want to say. He went into their synagogue. Now, it's just like Jesus, <laughs> uh, to not be afraid to go from the fire to the frying pan. And now he's inside uh, the synagogue. And he departed from the field. They made it there. He went into their, their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. Oh, how'd that happen? That's interesting. Uh, maybe he's a plant. And they questioned Jesus, and that's what makes me think it's a trap, asking is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then our author Matthew tells us this was so that, the purpose was so that they might accuse him. It's a trap. And so here's Jesus. He walks in into the synagogue, probably to worship, probably to teach. You know, he might have been thinking, I think I'll hand, have them hand me the Hosea scroll today. But right in front of him is a man who has a problem, and the guy's, his hand doesn't work. And Jesus, of course, is going to feel compassion for that man because Jesus always feels compassion. And I can just see one of the religious leaders, uh, one of the priests saying, uh, tell me, is it lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath? And it's obvious what they want. It's obvious what's going to happen. Jesus in the, is in the middle of their trap. What's he going to do? Well, in this, in this particular section, we learned that religious leaders tested the Sabbath theology of the Lord of the Sabbath in order to destroy him. They already know that they have him. He's going to do something he shouldn't do. 
and then we have him. We're going to destroy him. But they're wrong. In verse 9, Jesus went into the synagogue, as was his usual habit of doing. That's where he liked to be on the Jewish day of Shabbat. And that's where he shows up. And it looks to me like this refers to the synagogue in Capernaum, although I can't be completely sure about that because Jesus has uh, been traveling and moving around, but probably his uh, makeshift hometown where Peter was uh, growing up, and this is Capernaum. And it seems as though a trap has been set for Jesus by the people he just had an altercation with out in the, the grain field, whatever grain that was. He's going to handle them the same way he always handles them. And I need you to listen to this. Because the day may come when we're going to be on trial for our faith in Jesus. And when you're uh, in front of the authorities and they want to know what you believe and what you're doing and what what's should happen, you need to remember Jesus is going to show us what we should do. And it's what he always did. How's he going to handle this group? He's going to handle it with the truth of the word of God, and he's not going to back away from it. He's not, he's not ignorant of the fact that this is a trap. Uh, he knows exactly what's going on. Not only is he uh, going to uh, violate what they think the Sabbath is, but he's also going to heal this, this man because he has a compassion for people and he loves people. So he's going to do it. So we handle it with the truth of the word. How should we handle it uh, when, our, when our, uh, feet is to, our feet is to the fire? Our feet are uh, under the scrutiny of some religious uh, organization that goes against the things that we believe or some civil organization that says we can't believe that way anymore. Well, uh, we have to handle it with the truth. Remember his temptation in the desert. The way he handled Satan was with the truth of the word of God. And if you walk into a spiritual trap somewhere and uh, find that it's closing in on you, all you need to do is have with you the truth of the word of God. That's all God expects you to have, and you're ready to go. Just have to ask for him to give you the bravery to speak it, the bravery to say it, uh, the bravery to actually move on what you already know you should do. Well, in verse 10, the religious leaders asked Jesus as a teacher, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Now I want to interject here at this point uh, a quote from Dr. Keener. Uh, we've heard from him before, Dr. Craig Keener, and uh, maybe a little hard to make the connection here that I'm making, but just listen. He said, even the strict majority Pharisaic school in this period, and he's speaking his commentary on this issue, the Shemites, would have violated their own standards of ethics to have punished Jesus harshly. Although they prohibited prayer for the sick on the Sabbath, and that's why I'm giving this to you, I want you to understand uh, just how uh, these guys look at the Sabbath. You can't even pray for a sick person on the Sabbath. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Old Testament Torah. It's not in any of the prophets. It's, it's not there. It doesn't say that. But their rule was you cannot pray uh, for a person who is sick on the Sabbath. Had somebody turned in a prayer request this morning for somebody who was sick, we would have prayed for him uh, because we don't believe that you shouldn't do that. Anyway, they uh, were prohibited to pray for the sick on the Sabbath. Uh, even though that, they never sought to kill the minority school at the time, which was uh, the school of Rabbi Hillel uh, and, their, and the Pharisees there, who permitted such a prayer on the Sabbath. So what he's saying is that, look, there's this other group of Pharisees that they do permit prayer uh, on the Sabbath for a sick person, uh, but, the, but, but we don't. 
but we would never think of doing to them what we're going to do to Jesus just because they feel that way, because that's not the way we would handle it. But they're going to handle it that way with Jesus. Okay, uh, the stated purpose for the question was so that they could accuse Jesus of breaking the law and therefore have a cause to kill Jesus. Let's go back and look at what they're talking about, if you would, with me in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 14. What we want to do is wade through what is biblical and what is not biblical. Now, what is biblical is that you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. So we look at uh, verse 14 of Exodus 31, and it says, Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. So he gave us the reason why they're to observe the, the Sabbath. It's a holy day. We don't want to defile the holiness of this day. Everyone who profanes it surely shall be put to death. For whoever does, not work, whoever does work, any work on it, that person shall be cut off, which is a, a symbol of death, from among his people. So God says don't work on the Sabbath, and then he adds, uh, if you will, a death penalty to it. So this is what they're thinking about Jesus. You're, you're violating the Sabbath. And what Jesus said to them, excuse me, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> That makes me the owner. That means I can do whatever I want with it. But God is not going to, in Jesus Christ, is not going to violate God the Father's commands. And he never did. Because he was perfect in every way to the Old Testament law. All right, so uh, this, this is our problem with, with them. The word accused, back in our Matthew text, uh, from the Greek text, means to bring charges in court before a human judge. They're serious about this. They want to get him before a judge. Though not stated, some think this whole thing was planted here to test Jesus. I happen to agree with them, although, you know, that's not something that I would die for. Now, in verses 11 and 12, back in our text, And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So then, so here's what he has concluded. Here's, here's why I'm saying what I'm saying, because of what I just told you, Jesus says. So then, here's the conclusion. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is lawful. And they're saying, no, no, it's work, it's work. And Jesus says, no, it's good. That means it's not work. We learned last time, he said, God even has the, the, the uh, guys in the temple that the priests are going to sacrifice animals. And they do that on the Sabbath, and yet they're innocent. That's work. Do, they don't get it. And he said, do you get it? No, they don't get it. So Jesus illustrates their hypocrisy and misplaced priorities in verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, Jesus bases his illustration on the commandment from Deuteronomy and Proverbs. So let's just take a look at that. Deuteronomy 22.4. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 4. God says, you shall surely not see your countryman's donkey or his ox fallen down on the way and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. Hmm. Now, you'll notice that what's not in the text is, uh, I have this command, if you drive by and you see your neighbor's animal in trouble, you will by no means not go and help that animal. You will not refuse to help that animal. You will go and do it. He didn't say, 
but don't do it if, if it's on a Sabbath. He didn't say that. He said, this is what you have to do. See, I have a command. I have to do it. Something has to give. If I can't do any work on the Sabbath, and yet I'm supposed to help this animal, something has to give. And Jesus says what gives is compassion, and what is good, then you go ahead and do that. Now, another uh, section for that in, in the Old Testament is Proverbs 12 and 10. So I'm going to look at that, Proverbs 12, 10. Hopefully we'll get there about the same time as you are, Proverbs 12, 10. A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. Hmm. A righteous man has a regard for the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. Now, that doesn't touch what we're talking about this morning, but a righteous man takes care of his animal. Uh, I was watching a YouTube video of a man down in a ditch full of water trying to get this great, big, fat ewe, uh, ewe sheep out of this, this ditch. And he was a muddy mess, and so was his sheep, and he fought, and he fought, and he finally got it shoved up onto the bank. And as he's trying to crawl up out of this ditch, it was man-made. He just gets out, he stands up, the sheep goes down 15 feet, makes a left-hand turn, and right back down in the ditch, you know. All right, Uh, so he's going to be there a little while longer. God said, if you see something like that, you stop and you help. And you get them out. I've done that with animals. And you wonder, you know, you get to the point, you say, you, if you're going to do that one more time, you can just stay there. Well, that wouldn't be the right, the right attitude. So Jesus uh, makes this point. The point he makes is that no man among them would leave a sheep stuck in a pit on the Sabbath and refuse to pull it out to safety because they did it all the time. And nobody wanted to kill them for it. Each one would circumcise his male child on the eighth day, even if it were the Sabbath. Why? Because Leviticus 12.3, we don't have to go there, but Leviticus 12.3 says, every male child will be circumcised on the eighth day. Sometimes that's going to fall on the Sabbath. Well, that's okay, go ahead and do it. But that's work. So Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy of these guys. And the point is that some things just have to be done when the need arises. Some things can wait. Some things can just wait and be put off. Some can't. So if you look at the first part of verse 12, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Boy, you know, I've met people who say the, sh- the sheep are uh, more valuable. <laughs> Some people think their dog is more valuable than their, their family. And that's because their family is so disconnected and don't lo- love each other. So people fall in love with their pet, and some people marry their their dog, and then we have a problem. But I would hope we would never say that. We'd always say, the most important thing on planet Earth is my God and the people around me, because those are the only things that are going to last forever. That's it, nothing else. So the point is that some things have to be done, and now there's a value judgment that needs to be made. Jesus asked, who is there that thinks a sheep is more valuable than a man? Get those hands up. All right, you religious leaders, let's, let's see. How many of you think that a, that a man is not more valuable than a sheep? Anybody here? No? No no hands? Okay. All right, how about bovine? What about bovines? Are bovines more, more important? No, no hands go up. How much more is a man worth than a sheep? He's not talking about current market prices, all right, for mutton or beef. He's, that's not even coming up here. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, it, it's not about the marketplace. It's not about the price of mutton and beef. 
It's not about the price of slaves. The answer is that man is infinitely more valuable than the life of a sheep or an ox. But they would help that lamb get out if it was stuck, wouldn't they? And because they didn't vote, you know, the other way, yeah, they would do it. They would do it. And if hypocrisy was a cologne, they reek of it. This is a priority issue, right? They're, they're not trying to trap anyone who had their animal get in the mud, who unstuck that animal before they went to synagogue to sit under the teachings of Torah. As we're reading from the word of God in worship this morning. They hate Jesus. I wonder if we really understand the intensity of the hatred that Satan and his demons have for Jesus Christ. They hate him. And they hate people who love him. And then the people that follow Satan and demons, they also want to destroy Jesus. And these guys are shot through with hatred for Jesus. And they dream of getting to be the one who pulls the final trigger on his life and ends it. What would you do in this situation? We talked about what Jesus did. Here it is. All right. And so we, we look at this. And then Jesus says, here's the truth. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is lawful. And what I'm about to do, Jesus says, is not unlawful. They don't even care at this point. They're not even listening at this point. All of Jesus is talking about the word of God and what it really means just goes in, in one ear and right out the other ear. They don't care. And so this is why they continue their attack on Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They hate Jesus. They dream about his death. Jesus answers the question, speaking as Lord of the Sabbath, and unfortunately in the New Testament we can't see because uh, it's Greek, we don't get to see the word Yahweh there, uh, but this is Yahweh speaking. This is, this is the God of the universe. Speaking as Yahweh of the Sabbath, he said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. They are going to ignore him and continue to accuse him anyway that he's wrong, but remember all those guys that were there that day that accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath? Every single one of them is dead. And every single one of them had to stand for their judgment before this king, before Jesus. And I can guarantee you that when the judge of all the earth made his pronouncement on their eternity at that judgment, they had no choice but to listen to him and his judgment was carried out. It's much better, always much better to listen to Jesus now than to try to do it when he's not listening. There is no law in the Bible against doing good. How do I know that? Well, because it says that in Galatians chapter 5. You want to look with me? Paul, talking to the Galatians church in chapter 5 and verse 19 he begins to talk about what are the deeds of the flesh. How can you see when the flesh is in control and the Spirit of God is not? Well, here's how you can see. Verse 19, 
The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, you know, he's going to list them for us, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just that I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because of what they are inside, that's what they are always on the outside. But, verse 22, but, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All good things, right? All wonderful things. Look what he says about these things so we don't miss it. At the end of this, we look at it and he says this, against such there is no law. (laughs) Now, people are making all kinds of foolish laws today. That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant was, search the law, search the Torah, search the prophets. Can you find one single good thing in any of the law that uh, those would go against? Did God ever say, don't be compassionate? Did God ever say, uh, for you not to be kind? The answer is, no, he did not. Against such, there is no law of God. And that's what Paul taught in our New Testament. And there is no law against doing what is good. And these guys break the law by trying to kill Jesus. They're not being nice. They're not being good. They're not being kind. They're not being compassionate. And so in verses 13 and 14, we learn that some people or some respond to Jesus' healing power with hatred and a desire to kill him. We saw illustrations of that where Jesus would heal people and then they turned on him. Not all, but some. So it says in verse 13, then he said to them, to him, the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand. I don't know if he did it by faith or because the Pharisees told him if he tries to do it, do it. I don't know, but he stretched it out. And it was restored to normal uh, like the other. And that's what the text is trying to emphasize. So what Jesus does there is Jesus proceeds to do the right thing on Sabbath and he, com- and he commanded the man to stretch out his hand because Jesus is a Galatians 5, 22 and 23 guy. It has nothing to do with 19 to 21, but this is who Jesus is. We are all aware that Jesus knows full well what his opponents are up to. They're trying to trap him so they can kill him, but he does the right thing anyway. We talked about that's what we're going to do too. With the truth of the word of God, we tell the truth, we do the right thing. Now we know exact, the exact value that Jesus places on this stranger who is probably a part of the test. Okay, he probably volunteered for it. But this stranger that he didn't know, this man that he didn't have to help, why be in trouble with the Pharisees? You know, I just got in trouble with them outside. Why do it in here? I, I don't know, but he did. And Jesus places on this stranger that needed his help his willingness uh, to face condemnation for the well-being of this man. It's going to hurt Jesus in the long run to help this man. And Jesus says, but the right thing to do is to help this man. And it is just like Jesus to give his life for others. It's just like him. What is it like for us? What is it like for us in our ministries? So let uh, let me just use myself here, okay? How much do I value those that God has given me the privilege to teach, to serve, to lead, 
to guide, and to love. What do I allow to interrupt my ministry to them at times? Is my priority in the right place or is it not? Do I value other things more than I value people? That'd be what we call a temporal value. Anytime you put things above God or people, your, our values are in the wrong place. So what happened? His hand was restored to normal. And the emphasis in the text is just exactly like his other hand, his good hand. It matched the good one that he had. So in verse 14, uh, this has infuriated his enemies, but the Pharisees went out. Not even going to say a word. They've got all the evidence that they need. And they conspired against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. That's the goal in the first place. So the Pharisees uh, had no doubt Jesus could heal. Uh, That really didn't bother them. It didn't impress them either that Jesus could heal. Uh, They knew that. Uh, But they still wanted to put put him to death. They still wanted to put an end to his ministry. So they have the confab to conspire, plan, plot how they were going to destroy him. The word for destroy uh, comes with a meaning of to kill, in other words, to put to death. Jesus knew full well their intentions and what they were for him that day, but his time had not yet come. He also knew one thing, that God is in control, and you are not. God is in control, and what he wants to happen will happen, and it's not up to us. And Jesus knew this is not my time, so he's going to get away with it right now. Now, we've, we've covered that passage, but I want to add to it something that we can take away for a little bit more uh, for our understanding of the Sabbath or what it was. I want you to turn, if you would, to Romans 14. Romans 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6. Let me tell you where I'm going with this. The Bible does not teach that there is a Sabbath for the church. There is no such thing as a Sabbath for the church. Paul said uh, in this Romans 14, 5 and 6, one person regards one day above another, uh, others regard every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does it for the Lord. He who gives thanks to God and he who eats not is both for the Lord, if they give thanks. Now, you couple that with Colossians 2, 16 and 17. So we'll look at that. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Paul says to the folks in Colossae, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon, or Sabbath day. Hmm. He goes on to say, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see what happened here? (laughs) We need to understand the theology of what's going on, all right? We are not going to institute a New Testament Sabbath for the church, nor will we observe one. And that's because, and we don't have to turn to it right now, but 1 Corinthians 11.25 tells us that Sabbath is not the sign of the new covenant. What is the sign of the new covenant? 1 Corinthians 11.25, it's communion. And we try to do that once a month, observe that sign. You see what we're saying here? Moses wrote a law, and in that law he said to keep the Sabbath. 
and the Sabbath was something that showed you were a part of the Mosaic Law. Is there anybody in here a part of the Mosaic Law? No. No, we're a part of the New Testament. What is the sign that we belong to the New Testament? The thing that we keep, the thing that we don't give up. It's taking of communion as a body of Christ. Looking forward to that day, we'll have it with him in his kingdom. There is no Sabbath for the church. Of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are brought right out of the Old Testament and, if you will, were ratified for us. One of them was left out, not ratified. It was nullified, and that's Sabbath. There is no Sabbath for the church. I will, I, I will not practice Sabbath because I am not under the Mosaic Covenant. I will take communion because that's what I'm under, and that's what you're under too. I want you to listen to what uh, Dr. Blomberg said about modern Sabbatarianism, the modern church trying to do a Sabbath. He said modern Sabbatarianism is largely the legacy of Puritan legalism. To be sure, contemporary American Christianity desperately needs to recover the centrality of worship and of the life in the Christian community. He's talking about too many people skipping the community of the, of the church for worship and doing other things. That's what he's talking about. But he says this, but this is an entirely separate issue. Amen, it is, from Sabbath and from Sabbath observance and not helped by injunctions against work and other activities on Sunday or Saturday, which is really the Sabbath. All right, thank you, thank you, Dr. Blomberg. So, friends, what we learn here is there is no Sabbath for the church. So I grew up in things where my dad would never think that we would go mow the church lawn on Sunday afternoon. Oh, no, no, not, not if the Baptists catch you. You're breaking the Holy Sabbath. I even understood as a little boy, that was yesterday. We were actually up here mowing yesterday on Saturday. But you'd have a fit if we did it on Sunday. Do you see, you see what I'm getting at here? This is Saturday was the Sabbath, not Sunday. Who, who, made, who made Sunday the Sabbath? So there is no Sabbath for the church. You are not more holy if you think there is and try to enforce it on others. You're enforcing something that is Puritan legalism. It's not the truth of God. It's not the freedom of God. Sabbath was yesterday not Sunday, we meet on Sunday. Have you noticed that? I even thought at this point of asking the chairman of the church, what is today, Randy? No, no, no. <laughs> it's Sunday. Have you not been listening? <laughs> I'm going to ask somebody else. Brad, what's today? It's Sunday. There we go, Sunday. <laughs> I should have warned you, Randy. I didn't know. But I thought for sure we can go to Randy. It's, it's going to be a done deal. All right. It is, we, we're celebrating the Lord and it, on this day. Okay, we, we can say that, right? There are things that remain for us to follow as followers of Christ. You know what? A day of rest is good. Just don't make it a Sabbath. Don't make it legalistic. But some of you looking out there, <laughs> some of you could use some rest. <laughs> Maybe this afternoon you get some rest, huh? Some are going hard every day of the week. And the problem with not getting a day of rest is sometimes, not you because you're here, but sometimes we don't even take time for Jesus. Don't answer with your hand raised, okay? How many days last week did you stop and just read the Word of God for yourself? How many days did you pray at least three or four times a day? How many days did you stop and think about just your, your Jesus and how much He loves you? We're so busy. 
It is a command that we don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together. You guys are all in because you're here, okay? Uh, that's Hebrews 10:25. And I know things come up, but don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. We learn the word of God. We can encourage each other. We can love on each other and do what God wants the church to do. It is always a good time to do something good for another person or for God. And that's what Jesus wants us to get. Once Jesus died and rose again, Sabbath is over. The new covenant is inaugurated with his blood. And our sign of being covenant keepers is what 1 Corinthians directs us to, the taking of communion. All right, well, let me end with this. Compassion, number one, if you're following along with your uh, uh, bulletin in the applications, compassion is our priority when it conflicts with ritual. That's what Jesus has taught us in the last two weeks. Compassion is our priority when it conflicts with ritual, where real, real human need is involved, not just because you want to skip for a sporting event or something like that. Number two, acts of mercy for others are perfectly in order any time they come up. You don't see the sheep in the ditch and it's Saturday and you think, oh, I better do that on Sunday because I can show an act of kindness. No, you stop and get them out right now. Be careful, by the way, be careful. You can get hurt by an animal that's bogged down, so just make sure you're age appropriate. If you see a kitty cat, you kids, try it. All right. Number three, Worshiping together, and this is my opinion, I hope it's yours, okay? Worshiping together is a privilege, it is a joy, a learning and growing experience, encouraging, and something we don't want to miss. I hope that's what you feel. Um, I feel that way. Let's bow together and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, I grew up in circles that legalistically said there is a Sabbath, and yet I never saw anything or anybody do anything uh, that Sabbath keepers were supposed to do. And I've often wondered about the hypocrisy of it, and I just don't want us to be hypocrites. There is no Sabbath for the church, but communion is important to us. It's a sign of our covenant with you. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't uh, legalistically lay guilt and rules on people uh, about something that doesn't exist for us. We do want to be people that take time for you, honor you, and maybe take a, a half a day or a day of rest sometime. It doesn't have to be on Sunday, just to spend a day with you, just to spend time talking with you, going through hymns and reminding us of our faith, reading the Psalms, and talking about the love of God. I pray that one thing we would not forsake is you. And I ask it on behalf of my brothers and sisters and for myself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.